The 53-man roster is set and football is finally here. The Giants will take on the Pittsburgh Steelers at MetLife Stadium on Monday night. We break down who made the team, give an in-depth preview of the Giants' week one matchup, and make predictions for the entire season. We're also going to chat with my former teammate, all-pro defensive end and two-time Super Bowl champion, the captain, number 91, Justin Tuck. All that and more next on Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome in to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts right now. While you're there, rate us five stars. And write in a nice review, please. If you're not an Apple user, you can subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get podcasts. Your support is appreciated. On our season preview edition of the podcast, the guys are joined by two-time Super Bowl champion, an absolute fan favorite in New York. It is the great Justin Tuck. Speaking of the guys, here they are, your host of the Blue Rush podcast all season long. It's two-time Super Bowl champion kicker Lawrence Tynes and Giants beat writer Paul Schwartz. Paulie Tynesy, take it away, fellas. The start of a season is always a very busy time. Uh, Players coming, players going, getting ready for a new season, getting ready for a new opponent, and also always time to name team captains. Now, Lawrence, I'm not so sure. When is the last time you were a team captain? Probably named in college. I was a team captain my junior, senior year at Troy, but Coach Coughlin had the Leadership Academy. Right. No, Leadership Council. Leadership Council. Yeah. And? I was a part of that, so I felt very honored to be a part of the Leadership Council. I just didn't get a C on my shirt. So essentially, there's two per position group, offense, defense, special teams. I did not get that honor, but Coach Coughlin did put me as part of the Leadership Council, which I thought was a pretty good honor coming from him. It is. No, he took that Leadership Council seriously. And um, look, you came to a team with a um, long snap. Who was Zach Diasi, the uh, captain for special teams, pretty much your whole uh, run there? Zach was the the mainstay for sure. As you know, Zach leads by example, great teammate. He fits every, checks every box to be a a captain of a football team. Yeah, much better than some flighty kicker, right? Yeah. Field goals and do all that silly stuff. Um, Now the Giants, I thought, Lawrence, this year, some no-brainers, but some interesting choices as their team captains. Let's go over them. Offense, um, pretty much chalk, right? Daniel Jones, quarterback, Saquon Barkley, the uh, great running back. Um, Only guy who maybe could have been in that mix was Sterling Shepard. Interestingly enough, a few days before they named these captains, uh, we asked Sterling about this. And he said, you know, I've never been a team captain on any team I played on. Um, I know there's a, you know, he kind of expected, I think, Look, Daniel Jones is going to get it. Saquon, of course, is going to get it. What do you think of those two choices? I think they're they're both great choices. You know, I, I oftentimes like to see a lineman be a captain. I think Zeitler or Hernandez could have been a choice. You know, you want to have leadership up front, but I can you can't go wrong with Saquon and, and Daniel Jones. If you're if your quarterback is not a captain of your team, I think there's a there should be a little bit of a red flag there. Your 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 quarterback has to be your captain. Now, interestingly enough, Eli Manning was not a team captain his first three years in the league. Now, you know they had 
some veteran leadership there, but he was not in 4, 2005 or 2006. The first time Eli was a team captain was going into his fourth year, which is what, your first year, 2007. Uh, he was the captain. So I think that Daniel Jones is a captain in his second year is indicative of a couple of things. Number one, I think his teammates last year, even as a rookie, they kind of looked up to him. He had a little, a little it factor. Number two is not a lot of options. You know, I mean, you mentioned Hernandez, maybe Zeitler is only in his second year. There's not a lot of guys on this offense and really on this team who you say, that's a longtime giant, that's a team captain. So um, is this a little bit of a red flag that Daniel Jones in his second year gets this and there's not really a, not a lot of other good options there? Well, I think it says a couple of things. I think, first off, this is this is a young football team. You know, they do have some veteran players, but overall, if you look across the front, the backfield, the quarterback, and and some of the, you know, the young receivers that they have, it's a young football team. And, and Daniel Jones, you know, he earned a lot of credit last year how he played the game, and obviously his teammates respect him and voted him a captain. So I I'm, I'm, I can go along with it. I think I think Daniel Jones should be the captain. He He's a quarterback of the New York Giants, and he's earned it. I mean, he's only started for one season, but again, I think it's the youth of this football team, and, and that's why he was voted that. Yeah, one more thing before we get off the offense. Um, I was there when Eli was a rookie in 2004. I was there last year when Daniel Jones was a rookie. Daniel Jones was a more advanced personality in the locker room by far than Eli was, and that's not a knock on Eli. Uh, Eli Manning, as you know, better than me, Lawrence. I mean, I you weren't there as a rookie. I was. But other than the fact that that magic Manning name, you know, Eli's a pretty laid back. Uh, he doesn't kind of wear it on his sleeve. I'm football royalty. And as a rookie, he was kind of, you know, laying in the weeds a little bit. They had no success. Uh, Daniel Jones didn't have a lot of success. So I think that's a good feather in Daniel Jones's cap. Yeah. And listen, I couldn't agree more. I mean, obviously, I spent six years with Eli and I know who he is and what he what he became, you were with him early. He He's a leader by example, as you know. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not going to yell or you know fire people up very often, but he just leads by example. So I think Daniel Jones brings a little bit more to the table in terms of being more vocal. You know, we'll see. I, I, I like the picks. You know, I really like those two as captains. Yeah, I, I have no issue with them. Now, defense, also interesting and very much indicative of what this team is all about on defense. Dalvin Tomlinson, who is a steady defensive tackle, uh, not the most vocal guy in the world, a steady guy, a guy on most teams who would not be a team captain. That's no knock on Dalvin Tomlinson. And then you have this new starting inside linebacker, Blake Martinez. Now, a guy coming to a new team after four years in Green Bay and being named a team captain without ever having played a game for the Giants is really interesting. Is it weird or is it just interesting, Robert? Well, I think it says a lot about who Blake Martinez is, is as a football player. The guy gets off the bus with 10 tackles. He's obviously earned the respect of his teammates really quickly. Um, I know he missed a, a pretty good amount of camp towards the end, but obviously he's doing something behind closed doors to where, you know, the remaining teammates uh, on this roster voted for him to be a captain. You know, Dalvin Tomlinson, I don't know much about, to your point. He, he seems quiet, very smart guy, attended Alabama, had offers from Harvard. So obviously he's an intelligent person. He must bring something else to the table uh, you know players don't just vote blindly for these captains so they the, these two guys on defense obviously have a, a huge amount of respect from the teammates in their locker room yeah I think it also though I mean I think it cannot be discounted with a guy like Blake Martinez now he is the quarterback of the defense we know that he's going to make all the defensive calls 
He did that with the Packers. He will do that with the Giants. But it's when you look at this defense and you say, well, who else could have been a captain? Lorenzo Carter, no. Dexter Lawrence going into his second year, no. You know, Leonard Williams coming from the Jets, no. He's not that kind of a guy. Uh, O'Shane Zimenez, no. James Bradbury is the most, he gets the most money, $16 million a year. First year cornerback. I know a little bit about his personality. No, not a captain. So, um, you know, it, it, it's just the way it is. You know, they, they have to name a captain. He will be the defensive leader. But to me, it's, it's just the a little bit awkward that he's a team captain because he's never played for them. It shows there's no real giant defensive player who who deserves that honor. Right. I think just reading uh, from afar, I think Logan Ryan, had he have been in camp from the start, potentially would have been a guy. You just He kind of comes off as a leader, captain. Guys will listen to him. They'll gravitate towards him because of the success he's had in this league. So I think he's one guy that will, you know, he's going to be a captain of this team. He's just not going to have a C on his chest. Very, very. That's why you're you, Lawrence, because that's a very good point. And um, from one Zoom interview with Logan Ryan, he's already in the running for the good guy award for a guy who's going to be really good with the beat riders. He's a terrific talker he's you know he's he's from jersey so yes he's somebody to be watched now i have to do this with these two special teams captains um as we said you as the kicker was not one of them with the giants now these are interesting these are really interesting graham gano your scottish born beloved kicker for the giants is not a captain this is weird nate ebner who was a special team stalwart with the Patriots in his first year with the Giants is a captain. Okay, he's a, he's a special teams guy. And Jabril Peppers, who will probably return some punts. He's the starting strong safety. What this says to me is we kind of wanted Jabril to be a captain. We didn't know where to put him. So we'll vote him in as a special teams captain. This is an unusual group. It is. And if you remember when I was playing, Chase Blackburn, who's now the special teams coach with the Panthers, Chase played a lot of defense, but he was also our special teams captain with Diossi many years in a row. And that's why you'll see Chase Blackburn coaching, and he'll be a head coach, I think, in the National Football League one day. But this gives Peppers some credibility in the locker yep. room, if you will. Yep. It, he Robert, does, have a, yep. does yep. have a C on his chest. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter which unit you're representing. He's representing the New York Giants. So um, Nay Ebner, you know, no-brainer. This guy has been a stalwart, as you mentioned, in the, in the league on special teams. He is uh, one of the top – 10 or 15 guys in the league on special teams. So he deserves it. He brings a lot of knowledge to that unit. And I'm sure guys have followed his career. And obviously Joe Judge brought him over for a reason. So he'll he'll definitely captain that unit. But Peppers just kind of got a, you know, a two-way street here, a defensive captain and a, and a special teams captain. But ultimately, he's just a captain on this football team. No, I agree. Last year, he kind of brought some energy to the locker room, you know, some ferocity, a little bit, a little different than intro role, but a little bit. Look, you need a guy who's going to just look incredibly disgusted by losing, almost that you can't even talk after you lose. And Jabril brought a lot of that. Now, now Antrell never couldn't talk. He was a great talker, but he sometimes just was so frustrated by losing that he, he couldn't make his thoughts clear. So I like that with Jabril Peppers. Uh, yeah, that, that's fine. Um, just switching gears now a little bit. We got to take tend to some business. This is a part of the job, right? That, you know, you've been with teams where guys get in big trouble. Uh, you know, DeAndre Baker was a first round draft pick last year. The Giants mm-hmm. traded a second, fourth and fifth round draft pick 
for him to move up into the first round to get him. He had a bad year last year on the field in the offseason. He's, um, you know, very bad legal problems, four counts of armed robbery in Florida. The Giants waived him this week. Uh, end of that sad chapter. Um, how does this resonate in, in a locker room, Lawrence, when something happens like this to a player? It's unfortunate. I mean, he's a young player. I thought he actually played really well towards the end of the season. The, the Giants had to do this. They had to make the move and move on. I mean, this is going to be a long, drawn-out legal issue. Obviously, you wish him the best, but, you know, these are things that can happen. And when you play football and, and you're a target and you, you get into some of these situations that he put himself in, it's just unfortunate. I feel bad. The Giants gave up a ton of draft capital to get him and move back into the first round. And I don't want to pile on. I mean, obviously, he's got his got a lot of problems here, but, um, you know, the locker room, it, they just move on. We talked about this with injuries. Players just inherently learn in the NFL to move on. You wish him well, and then next man up. That's just the uh, nature of an NFL locker room. Well, some fans want to know why now? Why didn't they do this before? Well, why now? Because this week, if he is on the roster, mm-hmm. he gets $57,000 every week yeah. time, times 17 yeah. weeks um, you know, almost a million bucks. And the Giants were not going to pay a guy right. $57,000 a week to be on the uh, commissioner's exempt list and not play for them. So that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, real quick on that point, I just don't know how many of our listeners know this, but if you're a vested veteran player and you're on the opening day roster, your salary is guaranteed. So you'll see a lot of players be signed in week two after the guarantee is over. A lot of veteran players that are out there right now, you're thinking, well, why aren't, why aren't they on a roster right now? Well, you're going to see next week, a lot of teams will sign guys and then you're on a week to week pay scale, which gives the team flexibility to cut you if you're no good. So keep your eyes out. I don't think this roster is finished by any means in terms of ads. So we'll see what veterans are out there. Spoken like someone who knows that the uh, this sport is a business. Yes, very it much. Is. You know, we talked about, you know, all the roster moves now with these with the cuts. uh you know, in years past, it would be like, okay, this is the Giants 53 man roster. They got down to the cuts and more and more over the years. It's like, well, this is like the the initial roster. And then I remember last year, for goodness sakes, I think they signed seven guys off waivers. They claimed, I mean, which was a tremendous sign that this roster was no good. Uh, This year, some surprises, not a lot. Uh, To me, the biggest surprise, I mean, this didn't resonate around the league. But uh, Ryan Connolly is a guy who I thought was an ascending linebacker. He started early last year as a rookie, fifth-round pick out of Wisconsin, had interceptions in both of his starts, looked like one of those guys who just got it, tore his ACL in week four, came back fairly strong this summer, but maybe, you know, probably was not 100%. I was surprised they cut him. The Giants wanted to put him on their practice squad. He's now back home in Minnesota with the Vikings. Did this take you by shock, surprise, or not at all? Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I thought he was a, a great player early last year and and did enough. And now I didn't get to see him in training camp. You did. Um, from everything I read, it seemed like he was having a good camp, but there must be something in the medical. I don't know. Um, there's something else here, I think, outside of the football that that maybe they're a little bit weary of, and they they expose them to waivers, and, and that's the business of the National Football League. You expose a guy like him to waivers who shows some promise and played well last year before he got hurt. Someone's going to pick him up. Uh, he is now a Minnesota Viking making much more money than he would have on the practice squad. Yeah, people don't realize. What is the practice squad a week is about what? 1500, 2000, is that about right? Oh, no. It's um it ten, now? I think it's around 10,000 a week now. Well, yes, I guess that's right. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I 10 guess- to 12 cuz uh McCown's yeah. playing virtual quarterback in Texas making 12 grand. 
Like, I guess if you're on the, the practice squad for the entire season, you make about like 180 or something like that, right? You know, about 180 or 170,000. So it's maybe about, is, is it about 10,000 a week? Is that about right? I thought it was. I think so. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, but it's not, it's chump change compared to being a, um, you know, being being on the roster. The Giants put out their first unofficial depth chart. And, and I was very interested in this, Lawrence, because I figured Joe Judge being a Belichick disciple would really Mickey Mouse this thing up and put, you know, Belichick puts a lot of this guy or this guy, or he Mm -hmm. puts two guys on the same line. And you kind of say, well, this tells us nothing. You know what? If you would have asked me after training camp, make your depth chart. It would have been very, very exacting like Joe Judge did. He didn't play a lot of games here. Nick Gates, for example, started most of the time with the first team in training camp, and he's listed as the starting center. Did you get a chance to look at the depth chart, and did anything catch your eye? You know, nothing really stands out. I I took a look at it. I think the one, you know, Logan Ryan is kind of a, you know, is he really... Is he really going to be a backup? I mean, I, I could see him starting or in some sort of package. If if the Steelers come out, you know, three, four, five wide, he he's obviously going to be starting. But other than that, I mean, I was, you know, everything as expected. Uh, you know, I think the biggest camp battle was possibly Gates and Pulley yep. at center. And that kind of uh, solved itself. But maybe Deion Lewis backing up Saquon. I thought Wayne Gallman had a, had a really nice camp, but I guess that doesn't really mean anything. Both those guys are more, you know, third down backs anyway. So the thing that concerns me about this roster, though, is I I just I I think all the receivers are one in the same. Does that make sense? Now, Slayton is more of your one than anyone is on this on this roster. But I still, you know, they they need some size on the outside. We'll see. I think they got a kid on the practice squad from Ohio State that's a big guy. I don't know how he did in camp, but these receivers are not very big. If you will, no. There's a right. Do you think uh, um, Slayton's got a little bit of size to him? He's he's he right as you yeah. said. The one he's the guy vertical. Now it's one guy on this roster who I think fans do not know anything about, and I know a little more than nothing about Isaac Yadum. Okay, is is a cornerback that they traded with the Broncos. They gave us the seventh round pick to the Broncos for this guy. He was a third round pick two years ago. He was a disappointment. He's one of those guys. If he was on the Giants, you'd say they took a third round. They gave a third round pick for this guy. He's no good. He started, I think, nine games or so. You know, really was a disappointment. And you know, he could start for this team because I'm not a believer right now in Corey Ballantyne. He did not have a great summer. He right now is your starting right cornerback, and that's the way the NFL is. You know. I don't know what what uh, Joe Judge is going to do and uh, Pat Graham, the defensive coordinator, is going to do. But a guy, well, he's technically Ballantyne's technically had a better summer than he did last year when he got shot in the butt. So. Well, yeah, yeah. you know what? And and, and part of that, it, I mean, obviously it's not funny. Um, the reason I think the fans resonate a lot and know a lot about Corey Ballantyne is because of his backstory. And he got shot and his friend got killed. A high school teammate. It was a terrible story, and he's a he's a terrific young guy. He's very eloquent the way he speaks. Good returner too, right? Um, yeah, a little bit. I don't know how much he'll do with that, but it, it's it's. I, I think it's a stretch to think that he's going to be a starting cornerback in the league. You know, at any point, certainly this year. So you know, it's going to be a wing and a prayer a little bit in cornerback. Cornerback, no question to me, is the most questionable position on the whole roster i think joe judge said that he said we're just basically going to ride the hot hand so obviously a big game monday night at metlife stadium pittsburgh steelers what do you like what do you not like i i'll tell you what i don't like i i think i know what you're not going to like those two those two defensive ends (laughs) i wrote the first two names i wrote down against uh a rookie tackle and then cam i thought it was going to be matt pert no no he he's not ready yet he's a rookie it's cam fleming and he is a, a journeyman he was with the patriots 
Uh, really a, kind of a spot starter. Look, they signed Cam Fleming to be the swing tackle. Nate Solder starts at left tackle. Rookie Andrew Thomas starts at right tackle. Cam Fleming is back up at both. Nate Solder opts out. All of a sudden, Cam He's kind of the Kevin Booth of this roster. Yeah, on, at, at the tackle right. spot. Right. A guy you don't mind playing, but nope. you didn't go into it and saying, we want him starting 16 games. And, and you know, I don't think Matt Pert is ready. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you. I think that is code red because in the controlled scrimmage that was most like a game, Lorenzo Carter looked like the other LT, not the Lawrence <laughs> Fine LT, the Lawrence Taylor LT against Fleming and Thomas. So that is a red flag. My greatest concern in this game is, Remember, the Steelers have a quarterback. I forget his name, but he came out with Eli, Big Ben, right? Big Ben Roethlisberger. I, I, I'm kind of surprised that he has outlasted Eli in the league. When he was last healthy in 2018, he threw for 5,100 yards. He led the league. When he was healthy, he can still play. He is a bear. He is a mountain bear. You can't bring him down. So is he back? Is he? Can he throw? Is his arm okay? We shall see. If yeah. he is what he normally is, look out below with this defensive backfield. Yeah, a little bit of a different team, right? A.B. was there. Le'Veon Bell was there. Yeah. So, you know, he's got Juju Smith-Schuster. He's got a couple of tight ends. I just don't know that they have the big play threats that scare the, the Giants defensively. The biggest fear is going to come from Dupree and T.J. Watt. You know, they may switch sides and rush uh, Thomas they're gonna have to help Thomas a lot this game with some tight ends and it looks like they kept some blocking tight ends which is obviously we thought they were gonna do all along if they can run the ball just like every other week if they can keep the defensive ends off balance just enough you know there might be enough you want to go ahead and pick this game and then jump into the schedule well guys the, the spread is five and a half as well the spread is five and a half so we'd love your pick for the overall winner and loser but we also want to know for the gamblers out there will they cover the spread or will they not cover the five and a half point spread? I think this is a very tough opener. Um, I don't think it's an unwinnable opener because I just, uh, you know, Lawrence, I, I think you agree with me. This is an incredibly hard early season to predict. Yeah. Who came through this? No preseason games. Uh, the Giants are healthy. Uh, that's a good thing. Um, I think it's a tall order. The Steelers are going to have a good defense. We know that. James Conner is a good running back. We know that. You know, is Big Ben Big Ben or is he a, 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 a weak in facsimile of Big Ben? But I, I'm not picking the Giants in this game. Hmm. It's a home game on Monday Night Football. There's no fans in the stands. That, that's a real downer. Real downer. So, um, I, I, I think the Steelers, you know, I'll give them a seven-point win. So, that hmm. would, I guess, mean that they cover the spread. I'm going to go Giants by a field goal from the Scotsman. Now, let me ask you something. Are you ever going to pick against the Giants? Oh, yeah. If we get through the schedule, you will see. Uh, I've got them getting off to a really fast start. Mm -hmm. And then... 10 and 1, and then they'll lose. No, it's not quite that good. But It it does start off well, but then I just think things start you know teams start to get a beat on who they are i think these first couple of weeks you just you just don't know what teams are so after like the fourth or fifth week i think you you kind of have a modus operandi of what a team well, is. Well, let me hold on. Let me ask you something. If you get a paper cut, what what is that? Is that red or blue that comes out in the finger? You bleed what? Red. Red, but a little blue also, right? There's a little blue in there. Where are you going with this, Polly? I know. I, I, I you, you you want you you have there's two Lombardi trophies up in 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 the facility, uh, thanks to your right leg in part. And so, I mean, look, it's okay if you bleed yeah. a little blue. It's okay. But I keep it real as we get going through this. Yeah, no, but I, but I, I can give very good reasons early while the how they will win the ball game. But after that, I just think the schedule just gets super intense. Week one. All right. So Paul Steelers, LT uh, Giants. 
Week two at the Bears, who are starting Mitchell Trubisky. LT, who do you got? There's your answer. Giants, 2-0. Paul? The Bears. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The Giants. The Giants. Give them a win. All right. There's 1-1 one and one for Paul. 2-0 and oh at the start. Week three at home versus the defending NFC champion 49ers. LT? I'm going to go Giants again. 3-0. and oh. Wow. You catch a team traveling across the country playing at 9 a.m. their time. It's always a tough game. You, you know the, the west to east scenario for teams. It's, it's a really good win percentage for the East Coast teams. Hot start, 3-0. and Paul? Okay. Um, I see somebody still bleeding blue right here. I'm going with a loss. I don't think the I, I agree with Lawrence. I don't think the 49ers are what they were, but um, I'm not giving them a, um, a loss against the Giants. So the Giants lose that game. All right. Week four at the Rams. Rams not the same team, but still a road game. You got to travel to the other side of the country. Uh, LT, who do you got? Well, I think the Giants started reading their press clippings. Thank you. They lose this game. They're they reading the Paul Schwartz articles of how great this Joe Judge football team is. They're 3-0. and They lose at the Rams. Paul? They lose at the Rams. All right, so both of you are in lockstep there. 3-1 and one now. Uh, LT has them, and uh, uh, Paul has the Giants at 1-3. and three. So week five, division rival in Dallas at the Cowboys. LT, who do you got? You know, we used to own that place, but recent years has said that the Cowboys have owned us. So uh, Cowboys win this one. They lose their first division game. Paul? There will be some fans, right? 15,000, 20,000 fans. I don't think the famous Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders will be there, though. The Giants will lose at Dallas, I believe, in the in the Jason Garrett return. Week six verse, still no name, the Washington football team. LT, who do you got? I think we win that game. That that We go one and one in the division. That's I don't have a lot to hang my hat on here, but I just think it's Washington. Paul, who do you got? Giants break a three-game losing streak. Beat the Washington football team. Title of your article. Week 7 at the Eagles. Uh, we'll see if Josh McCown is off his ranch and starting by then if Carson Wentz is out. <laughs> but uh, who do you got, LT? I got the Giants losing that on a short week. Thursday night football. Uh, going to Philly. No way. Paul? I've been at the link too many times. Driven there. Driven back. Loss. Giants loss. All right. So the Giants are off to a rough start on Paul's side. Uh, week 8. Tom Brady comes to MetLife Stadium. An old friend. Uh, LT, who do you got? I've got the Giants winning this Monday night matchup. Tom Brady's kryptonite is big blue. No matter who's playing quarterback, Giants win this one. Paul? Uh, last I checked, uh, Tuck, OCU, Minora, Strahan, JPP were not at this Monday night football game. Tom Brady and the Bucks wing. And Eli Manning isn't there either, by the way. All right. True. Week nine at Washington this time. LT, who do you got? I think that's another win. Uh, I just don't believe in Washington. Defensively, they're going to be tough, but offensively, they just don't pack enough of a punch. Paul, who do you got? FedEx Field is a dump. Giants win. <laughs> that's all the only analysis needed for that Jeez. game. Uh, week 10, home this time versus the Eagles. LT, who do you got? Nope. Giants lose this one. The Eagles have owned the Giants, and until the Giants show me something differently against this green team, I'm just going to keep saying they're going to lose. Paul? I defer to my um, co-host. Nope. Giants lose. All right. Week 11 is a bye. Gives you time to eat your turkey Mm -hmm. and stuff your face. Thanksgiving week, the Jets and Giants have a bye that week. Week 12 at the Bengals and Joe Burrow. I've got the Giants winning this game. I think Joe Burrow is obviously a nice player. I think he's going to have a nice year. But by by this game, we're going to have a a little bit of what Joe likes. And defensive coordinators are going to feast off that, especially for a young player. Paul? You're going to notice a little trend here. Joe Judge's team is going to finally get some things going here down the stretch. They beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. All right. The tough one here is in Seattle. No fans for now at the Seahawks. LT, who do you got? Yeah, but as as long as Russell Wilson's a quarterback, I'm not going to bet against him yet. Uh, Maybe in a year or two, but 
Seattle wins this game. Paul? Yeah, too physical. Too physical, too far of a trip. Um, I like the Seahawks. All right, week 14, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, who are, you know, everyone's predicting to be last place, but in a stacked NFC West uh, at home versus the Cardinals. LT, who do you got? I'm going to take Kyler Murray, Hopkins, Fitzgerald, whoever else they can throw the football to. Um, I think too much offensively. Cardinals will win this one. Paul, who do you got? Second year in a row, the Cardinals come to MetLife Stadium. Last year, this was Pat Shermer's Dunkirk. They got behind seventeen. <laughs> they got behind seventeen nothing to the Cardinals. The Giants' ownership was horrified by that. Uh, not this time. The Giants win. Ooh. Week fifteen, Odell Beckham and the Browns come to MetLife as they look to take a dump on the Giants. Sorry, I had to do it. Uh, LT, who do you got? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go Giants here. The Giants are going to bring out the kicking net to cover Odell. Giants win big. All right, Paul, who do you got? Uh, I think the Giants win. Uh, Odell is going to come back. You look, we need fans at that point, right? The fans, imagine the fans. We just need a kicking net. And and, and going after Odell, uh, they'll be, you know, I don't think there'll be a video tribute, put it that way. I, I have the Giants winning that game. All right, maybe by two points. Week 16 at the Ravens. Uh, LT, who do you got? No way. Lamar Jackson, too much. Giants lose. Paul, who do you got? No way. Lamar Jackson, Giants lose. (laughs) Simon says. Week 17, final game of the season, home versus the Cowboys. LT, who do you got? So if my math is correct, I have the Giants at this point, seven and eight. This is a game that if they win it, they can go to the playoffs, I think, they lose it. They go eight and eight. They miss the playoffs. No, you had them at seven and eight. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So this would be eight and eight if they win. Okay. So yeah, my, my record stands. I'm, I'm under 500. So they, I think they lose again to the Cowboys. The Cowboys at this point are going to be one of the best teams in the NFC. So they lose that one. So LT finishes with seven and nine. And Paul, what is your final pick? All right. The Cowboys come into MetLife. They don't need the game. Okay. They've clinched already. In this lousy NFC East. They don't need the game. The Giants are playing hard for Joe Judge. They win. They beat the Cowboys. They finish 7-9. and nine, And John Mara looks at the team and says, the arrow is pointing up. 7-9. Seven seven and nine. So we're, we're both 7-9. and nine. I just have them. You, you have them coming out at an atrocious start. Correct. I've got them coming out of the gates 3-0. All right, so I'm going seven and nine too. So everyone's going okay. seven and nine and improvement on last season. Good job there, guys. And joining the show next will be two-time Super Bowl champion and your old teammate, your old friend, Justin Tuck. And now it is our distinct pleasure at the Blue Rush podcast to bring in one of the best defensive players in New York Giants history, and that is saying something. He played for the Giants from 2005 to 2013. He's a two-time Pro Bowler, a two-time All-Pro. He is a member of the Giants Ring of Honor, and he is a constant reminder in Tom Brady's nightmares. It is number 91, Justin Tuck. Justin, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, bro? So yes, yeah, so we have Lawrence Tyne here, Tynes here, and and Jake Brown and uh, um, Justin. What what is life like for you right now? It's been a crazy summer. You, your family, uh, hopefully everyone's healthy. Uh, what what is life for Justin Tuck been like? Interesting. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, 2020 has been an interesting year from a lot of different uh, viewpoints. Uh, but you know. You know, my family's healthy, um, been very busy, um, but looks like we are starting to get back to some sense of normalcy, if that is even a word. 
but yeah, so no complaints from us. But you know, 2020 has been an interesting year. Justin, this is Lawrence. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Tyzy? LT. You know, I can't say that on the show for some reason, but I guess I figured that out <laughs> real quick. Anyway, I have a question for you. Something's been jogging my mind. The Giants are going to trot out a rookie left tackle Monday Night Football against T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. Yeah. What? <laughs> What did you do? How many rookie offensive tackles did you go against? And, and what was your mindset that week? Well, listen, me going against a rookie tackle other than my rookie year, that that didn't exist because they had backs chipping and, and tight ends in, 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 the, in the home position most of those games, especially in situations where we knew uh, they had to pass the ball. So I would assume that we're going to give a lot of help to our, our, our newly minute uh, first rounder at left tackle. And, uh, and for obvious reasons, even for, you know, some of the seasons that, you know, you talk about T.J. Watt and, and Bud Dupree, those guys can definitely come off that edge and are very uh, efficient at doing so. So even if it will, even if it wasn't a rookie tackle, I think you still would, you know, try to help out that side of the line, especially given that you have a still a young quarterback, you know, franchise, you know, franchise quarterback, I hope, in, in uh, Daniel Jones. So I would definitely be expecting a lot of help on that on that side. But listen, that's why they get paid the big bucks. He's going to have to step up. And from all that I, I know, I think he's had a good camp. But it'll be a very early test for him and his career. Hey, Justin, Jake Brown here. And, you know, you got the other LT. I guess you're the other JT because I guess Justin Timberlake might get the uh, uh, get the nod there. But it's uh, close. Well, I, I mean, I listen, I, I, I've been in the same circle with JT. That, that JT uh, before and he told me uh, me being 6'5", 270 pounds at the time, he was okay with me being the first JT. <laughs> he was intimidated. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could beat his ass up. Um, I, I'm curious what times he was like as a teammate. Do you remember him back in the day? Do you have any funny stories of him as a teammate with the Giants? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you asked that question because I don't remember times as a teammate other than him making the, the most clutch kickers in, um, in my career. But other than that, man, you know, the specialists, they, they come out, they do like five kicks of practice, and then they go in and they listen to music and eat and um, work out, you know, whatever they do when we're when we're out sweating uh, and running around the field. So, I, you know, I know Tynesy from afar. I never really got the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him because he just was in his own little world over there in the, in the uh, facility when we was out practicing. Do you see what I had to deal with in that locker room? <laughs> That's kind of abuse. I mean, listen, Jeff Fiegels was the best at it. He said, out of sight, out of mind. So during the day, we can't meet and talk about kicking and punting all day. So we had a we, we'd go hide in a film room with uh, Carmen Pisano and Maltese and Triggs. We would hide uh, out there during the day, and then when practice started, we see the guys start you know going out on the field, grab our stuff, and go kick. Listen, I was the only one that raised my hand when Coach said, "Can anybody kick?" So I don't want to hear any complaints about it. You wanted you wanted to be a star defensive end. I didn't want to hit people. I got no complaints. You made all the one of the counts. I, I, it's a reason why I have a little hardware on my fingers. So I'm, I'm totally fine with whatever y'all did when we were out getting pushed around by the old line. I, I'm totally fine with whatever you did to get ready for those, those big kicks. And I, I appreciate I, that. So, no hey, worries. Justin, I, re- I remember talking to Lawrence Tynes after that kick in, in Green Bay, and I asked him, he took off his shoe and his sock, and I said, why is your foot black and purple? And he looked at me Go like, kick the ice box. idiot, <laughs> frozen. Now, he didn't say idiot. But he looked at me and I said, oh, yeah, maybe that's why the kicking was so hey, difficult. He, he, um, kicked the yeah. rock. he kicked the rock almost 50 yards. Yeah. The rock, yes. That was just a terrible question, Paul. Yeah. No. <laughs> Justin knows terrible questions are um, part of the job description, right, Justin? I was kind of looking at your numbers over your career, and almost half of your sacks in your career 
are in December, January, and February. Explain. Well, I don't know. I think um, most of the time, you know, OC and Street, you know, they're front runners. So they got out, you know, really, really early in the season. And I had to kind of like put them on my back when it really counted in, in, in those, those tough games we needed to win, to, you know, win Super Bowl and win playoff games. So that's probably the, the, the main reason. Super <laughs> Bowl 42 MVP is Eli Manning. Uh-huh. A lot of people thought it was you. You could arguably make that same argument for Super Bowl 46. Right now, today, if you could change it, are you the Super Bowl MVP of Super Bowl 42? Well, if I could change it, absolutely. Yes. Um, but That's what I, I wanted to hear, it, baby. Yeah. yeah, but since I can't change it, I tell people all the time, we don't win that Super Bowl without the heroics of number 10. That's flat out. you know. So I could have had the best game of my life. We still don't win. So I, I know it's happened, but it ain't a lot of times it's happened where the, the loser of the Super Bowl is one Super Bowl MVP. So I was just going to uh, – a guy who had a good game and never won a ring if 10 doesn't do what he did. So I am totally fine with him being because he deserved it. Justin, it's so interesting because your career is so intertwined with Tom Brady's in, in, in a certain way. I mean, there, there are posters up. You've seen those posters. I don't know if you have any of your house of Tom Brady laying on the ground and either you looking over him or OCU looking over him or Michael Strahan looking over him. And it, it was such a fixture of the Giants world that, you guys got after Tom Brady. What do you remember most about that? And can you believe, I mean, are you really interested in seeing what he does in a Tampa Bay Bucks uniform at the advanced age, well over 40? I mean, can you believe he's still doing it? Well, listen, I don't know what the TB12 regiment uh, entails uh, exactly, but whatever it is, I mean, he's found the fountain of youth. He's still playing great football. And for us, in that Super Bowl, man, I think anytime you get the opportunity to play against someone like Tom and that team, you know, greatness, I've always found greatness brings out the best in, in those who are not intimidated by it and, and want to kind of meet that greatness head on. And we had that in, in both of our Super Bowls. It was easy. I mean, Super Bowls are easy to get up for anyway. I mean, that's not what I'm saying, but it was easy to just trap yourself in the fact that you was getting to play against arguably the best quarterback to ever lay them up. I think what he's doing at this ripe age, I think, what is he, 43? I mean, I, I'm hoping he's setting a precedent because, you, you you know, now that I'm out of the sport, I love watching it. I love watching how he has, has started. Well, he's always been this way, but especially now, he just he beats people with their, his mind more than he does with you know, his physical attributes. Given all the weapons that they seem to have gotten down in Tampa Bay, they were already stacked at wide receiver before Tom came. But then you, you talk about the running back position, the tight end position. Uh, since Tom announced he was going there, I mean, they, they, they're going to be an exciting team to watch, I think. JT, can you take us through kind of the smack talk that went on with you and Brady when you guys were go- going at it? And, you you know, feel free to curse. I'll use, I'll use the bleep button. But take us through what, what went on with you guys out there. Um, listen, man, what what happens on a Super Bowl field stays on a Super Bowl field. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, he was not he was not happy. Uh he let his old line know about it. And I think, you know, it was more mutual respect than anything else. You know, he was giving he was, you know, talking a lot of smack before the game. We were talking a lot of smack before the game and, and at the end of the day we got the last face off. But, you know, yeah, he was definitely saying some things that you wouldn't necessarily want your kids or your mother to hear. But that's that's, that's a competitor in him. And I didn't, you know, I think if I was if I was getting hit as much as I, as you were hitting him, I probably would have been saying the same thing to my old line as well. Justin, I remember meeting you back when you were a rookie and, you know, you're from rural Alabama. And one of the, my greatest claims to fame is you did a video for my daughter at her bat mitzvah and you prop. 
correctly pronounced bat mitzvah and mazel tov. And I said, boy, Justin Tuck has made it in New York now. Right? You know, right? I don't think you've ever said you've said those words too much growing up, right? Well, listen, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a highly educated uh, individual. So I, I, the thing I did do is, is practice. I knew that those wasn't necessarily vocabulary words from my youth. So I, uh, I, got, some, I got some practice in. <laughs> you know what? You are a highly, uh, you know, I knew you would be, after your career, you would do something in business or in philanthropy. What does, you know, I didn't know if you'd get an MBA from Wharton School of Business. What does Goldman Sachs private, VP of private wealth management mean? And do, and do I not have enough money to you to take me on? As- <laughs> Listen, I don't think everybody on this call right now probably we added our portfolio together. I don't think we have enough money. Basically, layman's terms is Goldman Sachs has put me in a position to manage money for high net worth individuals, family endowments. And my job, honestly, um, a lot of our clients come to us already hit their home, already have hit their home run. My job is to make sure that we don't get any strikeouts or double plays. I mean, we're not looking to hit home runs. We're looking to invest money in the right way, knowing our clients through and through. And given the resources I have at a place like Goldman Sachs, I, I truly think I, I mean, I, I look at my life as I've hit the lot on. I'm getting an opportunity to meet and work with some of the um, more distinguished people in all different sectors. And it's almost like I'm getting paid to learn. I don't want to give out, give too many secrets out here because I don't want people to sort of jump into private wealth. But it's, it's such an opportunity, uh, given the being in a place at Goldman Sachs and, and working with the, you know, the people that I get to work with on a day-to-day basis. Have you followed this team? Have you, have you watched or seen anything or read anything about Joe Judge? Do you think he's the right guy to move this team forward? Well, given COVID, it definitely has um, put put me in a situation where I'm not as knowledgeable about this team as I would be in previous teams just because I was probably I would have been around the you know practices and, and had more eye eye view on, on how things are going. But you know the, the great thing about Joe Judge I think is day one he um he came up to me in his press conference like, listen, I'm gonna need you and this was obviously before COVID, um, kind of postponed some of the things that he wants to do from a alumni um you know, some, some giant alumni being involved. But I've had, you know, discussions with him. I've had discussions with Garrett. I've had discussions with some of the other coaches just about coming in and making sure that these, these, this team, which it seems to be a younger team, or at least, uh, you know, younger and um, not a lot of giant experience, uh, whether that be from free agency or, or so on and so forth. But I, I do like Judge. I like him a lot. And I'll, 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 I'll carry out that by saying it doesn't matter if I like him. The first thing I told him, and he already knew this, is like you could be you could be the number one choice or the, or the eighth choice or the thirty second choice of coach. It doesn't matter if you come in and win. You know you're gonna be celebrated and they're gonna speak your name with the parcels and the and the coffers and so on and so forth. Uh, if you don't come in and win, we'll replace you in two to three years. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I do I I do think he's going about it the right way. I think how we've won. If you think about the New York Giants, we've won with a sense of toughness, a sense of pride, and a sense of not being ourselves. And I think given the, the, the coaches that he's worked under, that seems to be the, the, the memo that he's trying to get get across to his team that you know, we got to go out and, and out-tough people and not be ourselves. And I think when you think about that formula, it's not sexy, but I mean, listen, when we won as a Giants, we always won by doing probably four things really, really well. That was stopping a run and rushing a pass on defense. 
And on offense, that was being physical up front, running the ball, and protecting the quarterback. And that seems to be the case what he's trying to establish as a team. And, and, you know, unfortunately for Giants fans, we have to be patient in this. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Uh, I think we get to a point where we get so excited about it and we get unrealistic. Let's be realistic about this. We have we have some growing to do. And, you know, I'm in a place where I can be honest. We have some holes in the team that we have to fill. We have to get better in certain positions. But we also have to grow together and play as a team. And I don't necessarily know how well we can do that given, you know, there's a new system, new coaches, COVID hit. He wasn't able to have the off-season program that you would normally have. And I talked to him probably a week before uh, training camp started, and he hadn't even had the opportunity to introduce himself to the entire team. So there will be some some bumps in the road this year, but I, I do think he's doing he's going about it the right way and trying to build his team back to where it, it, it needs to be. Justin, you talk about Joe Judge coaching a lot of young players. You were once, as Dave Gettleman likes to say, a pup under Tom Coughlin. Uh, not in size you weren't a pup, but rookie-wise you were a pup and a young player. And I'm curious what Tom Coughlin instilled on you to make you such a great player. Obviously, we were a little late to the interview. We were strictly not on Coughlin time. But have, have you lived your life kind of on Coughlin time? And just talk about the impact that he had on you as a young player. Well, Coughlin time was easy for me because my dad had, had Jimmy Tuck time. Um, and it was very similar. Uh, my dad did not believe in being late. He believed in being early. And that was regardless of what it was for. So, I, you know, Coughlin time didn't bother me at all. Uh, I've always lived my life of trying to, to be the first one in the room anyway. And I think, that, you know, what it instilled in me was the fact that no matter what level you go to, you all, for me, it was like you always got people to answer to. And and, and I think Coach Coughlin was the type of coach where he wasn't necessarily used as your friend. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't care anything about being your friend. What he cared about was putting you in a position to succeed, whether you liked it or not. And I think a lot of times, especially in this new NFL, I don't know, it just seems to me that coaches want to be players' friends. Um, and I, for me personally, I I enjoyed my time with Coach Coughlin because I knew what to expect from him. I knew exactly what we were doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I still could, could tell you what we were, what, what was going in and how we were doing things uh, given the week that we were going to have. So and for me, it just made my job easy. I just had to go out and trust the process. I know that's a that's a silly term now, but just trust the process and, and go out and do my job. And he made it easy for us to do that. After you got around you know, some of his quirky rules that we didn't necessarily agree with, but when you start winning, you start to see the, the purpose of those rules and, and, and how they were implemented to, again, uh, help you be successful. Now, Justin, um, Tom Coughlin had a lot of those quirky rules, as you said, but he never asked you guys to run penalty laps, right? When you made a mistake. <laughs> in um, well, he know, didn't have to. He, I mean, he didn't have to. You know, we policed ourselves. We had a veteran team, a veteran enough team where we, he didn't have to. I mean, like, as OC and Stray or anybody in the D-line, we had this certain thing called sprint to the ball. And at times, might have started a little bit in the, in the uh in the um, you know two minutes a day that he would be on the field with us, but uh, <laughs> we, we, we wouldn't even allow guys to eat if they didn't have ten sprints to the ball. And everybody sounded like sprint to the ball that's easy. Well, you know how the running back breaks out the line of scrimmage, he got to go score a touchdown. Our D line had to chase him down and 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 get get down to the goal line before he did at least ten times in practice. And then they didn't matter if it was an eighty yard run or not. So we we policed ourselves like that where our coach didn't have to. But I, I get Coach Judge's 
sense here. And I don't even understand why that's even a story. A coach made a, a player run laps for making a mistake. Whoopie-doo. <laughs> Justin, I, I I was at that field. The lap was slow, methodical. I agree. <laughs> but now some of the players might push back. You don't you don't think that'll be the case with a young team that they won't look, you jump off sides, you run a lap. When uh, um the center quarterback dropped the ball, they you know, and he fumble exchange, they run a lap. Um can that wear on players or is it it's with this young team with an unproven coach? Is that okay? Um, I think it could wear on if it gets to a point where they're not seeing it. The, the fruit of the labor, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I think Coach Judge is, is doing this for, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm speaking from my experience. I have no clue if this is true or not, but I, I think it's, it teaches you very quickly who's all in and who's not, right? If you complain about having to run a lap for something that you messed up on and you're claiming that you want to be the best player that you can be, then that, that, those don't, you know, that's not equal. That's not, that's not adding up. Because how I always felt about it is if I'm messing up, I want to stop messing up. And I didn't care necessarily what I needed to do to stop messing up. If if that if, if the coach thinks that jogging my memory by making me run a lap every time I make a mistake, then if that works and that helps me become a better player, I'm I'm running that lap happy, to be honest with you, other than the fact that I made a mistake that got that run the lap shot of me. But I think he's just trying to put together a different attitude, a different, you know, dynamic in practice where you know, it's not going to be pushed aside. It's not going to be uh, put on the back burner. And, you know, a lot of times you make a mistake, you just say, oh, man, I'll get it next time. Uh, it might not be the next time. We all know in the Super Bowl, you, you know, times, if Tynes miss that, misses that field goal in Green Bay, it probably won't be another time, right? He, he, wouldn't, have been hosting the sh- he wouldn't have been hosting the show if he missed that damn kick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we definitely would not be calling him LT if he was right? Um but I think that's the, that's the mindset that this new coach is trying to get and make it instilled in his team. You you would, people don't understand. You win football games by mentality more than you do by talent. Um, and obviously, everyone wants the talent. But like, I, the best team I was on didn't win the Super Bowl from a talent perspective. The best talent, the, the most talented football teams I've played against didn't win the Super Bowls. If you look at the Patriots roster when they've been dominant, they haven't had necessarily had the most talent. But they've had that mentality where they just, like I said, they weren't going to beat you. I mean, they weren't going to beat themselves. They're going to do everything in their p- power to make you the one make the mistakes. And I think that's where Coach Judge is coming from in, 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 in stealing this, this new rule, I guess. Justin, uh, before we let you go, a quick one. We just want to make sure your wife almost tore something in her knee celebrating <laughs> Serena's win. Is your wife okay? No, she's totally fine. She played tennis this morning. She's fine. But she did uh, jump up and kind of land a little awkwardly on her. I don't know if it was a knee or her ankle. Uh, and gave that look like, whoa, I, I, I dodged one there. Um, but, yeah, she's totally fine. Did you tell her no toughness, no championship like Tom was? Hey, she's tougher than me. Well, listen, Ten times. we, we want to thank you for coming on. You know how much I care about you. I want to say thank you from everyone on the podcast for coming out. We'll probably have you on later again this season, but congratulations on everything post-football. You're killing it, and and just thank you so much. Good talking to you, Justin. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, always a pleasure. And I promise if y'all, if, y'all, uh, if y'all have me back, I'll be better next time, I promise. All right. Be better. We'll, we'll be earlier, too, next time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Right. Take care, Justin. All right, James, have a good day. Be safe. That wraps up episode 34, the Derek Ward edition of Blue Rush. 
our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Blue Rush wherever you listen to podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating there and write a nice review, please. For Lawrence Tynes, I'm Paul Schwartz. We will be back on Tuesday after the Giants' Week 1 Monday night matchup with the Steelers. Enjoy the game, and as always, stay safe.